Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to episode 36 of the Partly Political Broadcast, or, as I'm recording this on Halloween, the Partly Political Broadcast, but with a ghost in it. I mean, by the time you hear this, it'll no longer be Halloween, so the ghost will probably be gone, but, you know, let me tell you, until I put the heating on, I definitely felt a chill down my spine tonight, and my face, and, well, you know, everywhere. I mean, central heating is great. I'm Tiernan Diyeb, and personally, I feel a bit like Halloween this year had one hell of a tough job, considering at any point during 2016 so far, you could have watched the news and witnessed the sheer horror of everything. We're now at a stage where most people would welcome Michael Myers or the Blair Witch in with open arms, saying thank fuck you're here, now I don't have to witness the US presidential election. I wonder if Guy Fawkes Night is going to be a more mournful affair than usual, where instead of lighting billions of fireworks across the UK, we'll all just hold a small candle and feel sad about the failed attempt to blow up Parliament. I mean, at least rebuilding it from scratch in 1605 would have been a lot cheaper than the current repair bill. I mean, Guy Fawkes wasn't a terrorist, he was just an efficient economist. Sorry, I mean, of course he wasn't a terrorist, he was white. So, this past week has, as per usual, conjured up hideous things that even John Carpenter would bulk at. There have been calls for Mark Carney, the Governor of the Bank of England, to resign from his post on account of saying that the economy will be shit thanks to Brexit. Because, of course, if he'd said everything was smelling of roses and then it turned out that roses was actually a 108-year-old woman that passed away 12 years ago, I can't imagine people would think he was doing his job properly either. The Chancellor, Philip Hammond, has also been warned by some Conservative MPs not to warn of a collapse of economic growth and doom and gloom in his autumn statement because it seems that while some of us like the escapism of, say, superhero films or Game of Thrones, hardened Brexiteers prefer to just lie to themselves until everything goes away or they die. Of course, the Office of National Statistics says that the UK economy actually grew 0.5% from July to September, which is, yes, I mean, after the referendum result, and it's growth, uh, and it's higher than the 0.3% rate that was predicted. However, it's also less than the 0.7% rate that the previous quarter had, and the growth only seems to be in the services sector and the UK film industry. So yes, us who were terrified of the reality of this uncertain future went to watch films that distracted us from it and ultimately helped convince those who choose to swallow the very blue pill that actually it's all sunshine and lollipops. You know, just not tuba tubes as they're from Spain. 
Because much like the trolls who demean people's stories on social media by just replying with, that didn't happen, it seems that the grown-up way of ensuring that a hard Brexit is the correct thing to do is just to close your eyes, put your fingers in your ears and sing, la 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 la, until everyone else has got so exhausted with trying to tell you otherwise that they just go along with your version of things while the world sinks around you. It's like never revealing to your children that Father Christmas isn't real, and then years down the line in their adult lives, they deal with years and years of empty stockings, now filthy and full of holes, by convincing themselves that they just keep getting invisible gifts and playing with them in the park while people point and laugh. Now, of course, I am being a little bit harsh, as we don't really know if Brexit will be as bad for the economy as first predicted, but that's because we still don't know anything about it at all. But more on that later. What we do know is that the Bank of England's fast actions of some quantitative easing and a cut of interest rates probably stopped the growth of the UK economy from being any lower. So thanks, Mark Carney. Not only for that, but for the wonderful irony of it all being down to an immigrant to save many people's jobs. Carney has said that he will step down in 2019, which is a little bit earlier than most Bank of England governors do. But it does sound like he's done the exact correct math to work out the best timing to avoid having to deal with any of the Brexit fallout whatsoever. So you can tell, he's bloody good at his job. Meanwhile, man who, for best Halloween results to just dress up as himself, Ian Duncan Smith, now somehow both on the back bench and yet also up in everyone's grill all the time, he said that Ken Loach's critically acclaimed film, I, Daniel Blake, was unfair in its portrayal of people on welfare. As I said uh, last week, I saw the film and I thought it was brilliant, uh, if very upsetting, very moving. Um, but it does seem odd that the key figure in causing grief for those claiming benefits from 2010 to 2016 is the person who also doesn't agree with it. I mean, in fact, angry thumb Ian Duncan Smith said that he didn't believe people went through difficulties like that, which is interesting, as I didn't believe people could be quite so ignorant and bigoted as Ian Duncan Smith is, but evidence keeps proving me wrong. Second in line for idiot comment of the week was Conservative MP Glyn Davis, who tweeted that he never thought of academics as experts as they have no experience of the real world. Which is A, a stupid thing to say, and B, strange as he became an academic aged 50, uh, doing a diploma in international law and politics at Aberystwyth Uni after having spent the entire rest of his life on a farm. Hmm. As a side note, Davis was re-elected as MP for Montgomeryshire with 45% of the vote, one of the votes for him being a drawing of a cock in the box next to his name, which was counted as valid. And I think that says it all. So here we are, episode 36, and there you are, still listening. So thank you tons for that. Uh, and welcome to you listeners, new and old. Uh, my voice has returned to its full capacity, and I now expect many of you to write in and say that you preferred it when my scorched vocal cords made the entire show sound a little more jazzy. And I'm going to have to go away and just gargle whiskey before every podcast. Which, to be fair, would make some of the week's news far more bearable. It does also seem that last week's new jingle asking you to review the show on iTunes didn't work. And so, I get it guys, new tactics are going to have to be tried. You're gluttons for punishment. So here you go, and no, I'm not sorry in advance. Go to iTunes and review the show. Say nice words and help listeners grow. Maybe just tell someone you know that this podcast gives you an afterglow. Like eating a single pistachio, or watching a film starring Rene Rousseau. Now go away and please give the show... Five stars, please. Five stars. So, yep, uh, please do go and review the show on iTunes, and I promise never to try being Zach Delarock again. Well, I don't promise that much. It'll probably happen again. Uh, also, let's be honest, please do review, because I'm really running out of things that rhyme with review the show. Uh, 
couple of quick admin points this week before we crack on as well. Um, first, there are still some tickets left to the show I've helped organise for Help Refugees at Conway Hall in London next week on November the 8th with Frankie Boyle, Sarah Pascoe and more. Um, in fact, as I record this, there are only 37 tickets left. So if you want to come, head to Stand Up for Refugees, there's hyphens between all those words, .eventbrite.co.uk ASAP. Uh, if you're not in London um, but you want to help out, we are planning some more Stand Up for Refugees fundraising shows for Manchester and Glasgow uh, in spring of 2017. So I will keep you posted on those when they happen. Uh, and also, if you're in Bristol, uh, I'm going to be at the Cube on November the 5th. Yes, Guy Fawkes night. So if you're scared of loud noises, perhaps you're a pet. Uh, then come along to that. Uh, I'll be doing some US election-based stand-up before they screen uh, Idiocracy, a 2006 film about uh, two people who hibernate for 500 years and when they wake up, the world is... Well, I think it's meant to be dystopian in the film, but it sounds like it's very similar to how it is now. I think it's supposed to be a comedy. I'm worried that it's just going to be a really depressing reflection of our lives. Um, still, should be fun. Uh, come along if you can. Um, you can get tickets for that from cubecinema.com and Finn Taylor is on too and he's very, very good indeed. So uh, that will be great. Um, and don't forget, most importantly, you can sponsor me to make this podcast via the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash parpolbro, which, look, while I know I've still not done anything with it yet, I will soon, but it would just be nice, you know, to do something with it for more of you. So if you want to give me even just a pound a month, I think it's in dollars on the site, a dollar a month, so it's that £27 a month, um, you know, that really, really would help me a lot. Uh, it would allow me to spend even more time making jingles that you love to hate, or you hate to love, or you probably just hate. Uh, right, this week's show has an interview with comedian and US political commentator Eric McElroy uh, on all the farcical mess that is the US election. Uh, I'm going to be talking the Heathrow expansion, uh, so that means it's now called... Heathrow! And yes, there is more Brexit fallout. I mean, do I even need to say that that's going to be on the podcast anymore? It's almost certainly going to be a fixture every single week until 2030, isn't it? You know, at the earliest. I mean, or I could just not mention it at all and we just join all those adamant Brexiteers and I'll spend three minutes every show just putting my fingers in my ears doing this. La 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 la. A Labour demand for the UK to withdraw support for the Saudi-led coalition in the Yemen civil war failed because, well, Labour didn't support it. Uh, it was defeated by 293 votes to 193, as over 100 Labour MPs didn't bother to vote, preferring instead to stoke not only the Yemen civil war, but also their own obviously as important party one. I mean, I don't know about you, but a really clever way of trying to beat a leader you don't like is to condemn many Yemeni civilians to horrific war crimes carried out by Saudi forces using British weapons. Saudi planes have, among other atrocities, bombed a funeral in Yemen, killing 140 and wounding many others. And Saudi's only internal inquiries into the event have been pretty slow. I mean, you'd have got quicker results asking a five-year-old with cookie crumbs around their mouth to conduct a solo investigation into who ate the last biscuit. Boris Johnson's opposition to Labour's call for withdrawal was that if Britain don't supply the weapons to Saudi, another country with even less care for human rights might, and God forbid, someone steals the Tories' fund by getting to earn money from causing suffering. The All-Party Select Committee on Arms Export Control say that the civilian casualties count as a breach of humanitarian law, and that the UK government should pause arms sales until a proper UN investigation can be carried out. But there's no sign that this will happen, and that is in big part thanks to the 100 Labour MPs who didn't bother voting. 
John Woodcock, the MP for Barrow and Furness, said that he abstained from the vote as he felt the last thing the Middle East needs is more gesture politics from the comfort of British dining tables. Because, you know, it's far better for the people at those dining tables to be eating with one hand and selling weapons on their iPad with the other, eh, John? I mean, what do I know? All that supporting war stuff did great for Labour's electability last time, didn't it? Oh. Oh dear. Loads of bills have been discussed in Parliament these past two weeks, so here is a very quick rundown of some of them. Uh, The Homelessness Reduction Bill is a bill that calls for local councils to refer homeless people to the council's housing teams and gives them support for 56 days, after which I'm really not sure what would happen. But, you know, hey, a target's been met, so, you know, I'm sure it's fine. I'm being mean, really, because it is actually a very good bill, uh, especially as you'd normally expect the government to aim to reduce homelessness by just changing what the term homelessness means. Oh, yes, uh, homelessness now means just someone that doesn't own a pet turtle. So, yes, it is good, uh, and action on homelessness needs to happen very quickly because it is a big issue, pun not intended, so it's good that this was passed through stage one without any opposition. But even if this goes through and passes as a bill properly, it's just a small step, and the government really needs to look at preventing homelessness in the first place, otherwise it's just reactive and not proactive. And with a lack of accommodation and growing numbers of homeless people, there might be too many people still needing help on their 57th day. So more updates and a more in-depth look at this very, very soon. The Medical Supplies Bill is going to committee stage after an unopposed second reading uh, and the Medical Supplies Bill aims to reduce uh, the constant inflation in costs of medicine, which is something that has added £15.2 billion to the NHS England budget since just 2010. The bill was proposed by Jeremy Hunt, who usually suggests things for the NHS that sound like he's taken far too many pills himself. But even he expressed anger at one product having a 12,000% increase in the last eight years. Big pharmaceutical companies charging the earth means that the NHS can't afford to give some patients the medicine that they need, particularly in areas such as cancer or hepatitis C. So again, this is pretty urgent. I just hope, what with laughter being the very best medicine, they don't try and regulate my sweet, sweet gags, or I'll have to start paying you to listen to this. What do you mean I should already? Yeesh. And the Criminal Finances Bill is the government's attempt to tackle money laundering. Mainly, I think, because those new plastic fibres melt on a 40 degree wash. Actually, the bill aims to stop the UK's role as a safe haven for corrupt deals on property and assets, which are often done using money from tax avoidance or stolen from health budgets from developing countries. Yes, those luxury flats are even more loathsome than you once thought, and it was bad enough when they just cost millions and had names like Royal Waterside that sounds like a euphemism for the Queen's bits. The bill proposes introducing unexplained wealth orders, which would be used by law enforcement agencies and would require anyone suspected of dodgy dealings to explain where the money came from or face legal action. So yes, also a very good thing, though I swear I found that very washed fiver in an old jeans pocket and I have no idea how it got there. And in the race to the bottom, that is the UKIP leadership election, a man who described himself as the Faragist candidate, Rahim Kassam, has pulled out of the race. Ah, oh, shame. Editor of Breibart News, you know, the website for scared male emo virgins who glean how the world works through the medium of angrily wanking words onto a page. Uh, Kazam has got a history for making homophobic, sexist and aggressively nasty statements on his social media, so it's probably quite a shame to many UKIP supporters that he's dropped out of being head of slapstick Hydra. Still, I guess he was definitely the most farageous candidate as he consistently lowered the tone and has now run away before having to take any responsibility over it. Will it be Clinton or will it be Trump? One's all mean and one speaks from his rump. 
One's quite ruthless, one has no brain, but one of them's gonna win the presidential campaign. Oh yeah, it's the US presidential campaign. At the time of recording, there is just eight days to the US presidential election, after which America will either have a war-hungry, money-obsessed neoliberal POTUS, or one who could be left in an empty, windowless room by himself and still manage to break something. This week, I spoke to very funny comedian and US political commentator Eric McElroy. Eric is now based in the UK and has recently been seen giving info on the upcoming presidential shitstorm everywhere from BBC Breakfast to whatever the one on ITV is with Piers fucking Morgan that I refuse to watch. So I thought it'd be very, very good to get Eric's thoughts uh, with just over a week to go till the end of all days. Uh, I should say we spoke on Saturday morning, so the full extent of the Wiener emails had only just arrived in the news, uh, if there is any extent of them at all. Uh, some reports are saying they are to do with Hillary, some reports are saying they aren't to do with Hillary, and really it all sounds just very much like the FBI having to wade through former Congressman Anthony Wiener's dick pics, though by the sounds of it, he'd probably quite enjoy that thought. However, uh, while it does seem like the emails in question could have nothing to do with Hillary, uh, they have definitely given Trump a boost in the polls, and it does look like James Comey, the director of the FBI, may be in breach of the law by having revealed that they were in possession of those that close to the election anyway. Oh, and an investigation by Newsweek has discovered that over decades Donald Trump's companies have deleted thousands of emails, often defying court orders. But, you know, no one is surprised by this, because really, the only way Donald Trump would now surprise us all is if he gave up running in the election and surrendered with a white flag, and then it turned out that Bigley was actually the name of an abused puppy that he adopted. So, yes, as this presidential race keeps rapidly escalating downwards, our chat may be a tad out of date already. But Eric is great at explaining just what is going on. So we had a really good chat and I think you'll enjoy. Here's Eric. So uh, Hillary Clinton is uh, now seemingly quite far ahead in the polls. Uh, but obviously we're chatting Saturday morning. Last night uh, there was some new email leak scandal. Uh, what was that all about? Well, it's there's so many different email scandals going on because there's different um, areas that things have been leaking from, from her own emails where she had her own private email server while she was Secretary of State, when she shouldn't have, it should have been a government server, to emails that have been stolen from her campaign through WikiLeaks, and now a whole new set of emails coming from a different source. So they're just coming out in dribs and drabs, which has been terrible for the campaign. It would have been better if she just had a, a Yahoo account from the beginning and we could have read all of her emails. <laughs> months ago. But um, this latest batch is from a man named Anthony Weiner, who um, was a U.S. congressman. And Anthony had this weird desire, I don't know what it stems from, to text people pictures of himself and uh, himself partially naked, showing his um, his namesake, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's and nominative it, determinism, it, isn't it? And it, it's, it's very best. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it is. Uh, some of the headlines that came out of Wienergate were just phenomenal. <laughs> um, you know, he tried, you know, he was trying hard to cover things up. I mean, it just went on and on. But anyway, <laughs> he is married or was married to one of Hillary Clinton's top aides. And so, but he, they're now getting divorced. But in the investigation, he's, he's come back in the news because he started um, tweeting pictures of himself again, but this time to a 15 year old girl. So he's been investigated for that because he's um, in contact with the campaign and his wife, Huma, um, was part of the Hillary Clinton's inner circle. A new bunch of emails have come to light that might be emails that Hillary should have disclosed about a year ago that could contain classified information. 
which would be a criminal offense. And that's been a haunting and, and dogging Hillary throughout the campaign. So there's some of the momentum that we've seen that she's had in the last few weeks where she she sort of broke out with the first debate and calmed down Democrats who were nervous that she couldn't cut it. And Trump showed himself for being truly wacko um, at, at a whole new level. Then we had the whole, um, you know, the video release of Trump's uh, grabby, handy comments. Yeah. And so the momentum has been with Hillary, Hillary, Hillary. And this last night could be something that kind of slows things down with, you know, less than 10 days to go. So do you think, I mean, um, a couple of things. One, I think, do you think Hillary should just be banned from using emails ever if she becomes president? Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just that, that entire generation um, of baby boomers, you know, this is technology they don't deserve. Uh, so, I mean, because it says, I mean, part of the reason that she struggled so much is that she, she didn't quite, she'd never been a big email. I mean, Bill Clinton notoriously, um, well, did a lot of things notoriously, yeah. but he sent one email when he was president because that was 92 to, to 2000 and it was kind of just all happening then. And wow. so they, they like set up a thing on his desk and he sent one presidential email, I think to the, someone in, um, the international space station, but oh, maybe wow. you've got, I don't know how well you're listeners fact check things but maybe they could fact check that that for us yeah yeah but um so yeah she it's definitely been a huge struggle and, and it's just it's her tendency to be so private and so secretive partly because she's been in the public eye for so long and been attacked on so many different levels so you can kind of see it but at the same time she's put herself in the brightest spotlight in the world and in a way her, her trying to have that you know veil of privacy it always backfires and it's one of the things that concerns me about her potential presidency. I think either, you know, once she, if, if she gets it, she'll either relax because she's not a national campaigner and, and she'll be good at the job because she has the most experience of anyone who's come into the job in the modern era, or she'll hunker down and she'll keep this weird level of everyone is out to, not weird, but it's kind of understandable. Everyone's out to destroy me, so I'll, I'll do everything with the assumption of scandal and that will create scandal. Because um, what we've seen with thousands and thousands of emails is so far really nothing that illegal. It's just the way they handled the emails and the way they handed them over that's created more and more questions. Yeah, because I suppose it makes people think: Will she be? Will, will she be keeping things from us if she's president? You know. Uh... Yeah, and and so I mean that's 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 one of my fears with her as a as a president. You know, I think you hope that somebody with experience can be. Um, you know, can be good at the job, but sometimes that level of experience, you know, creates its own, you know, past relationships and issues with the, the other politicians. And it's hard to know. I mean, I think Barack Obama, he was a junior senator from Illinois. He, you know, he was vastly inexperienced. That was one of his criticisms. And I think we saw it with some of the mistakes that he made early on in his presidency. Um, he's much more savvy operator now and is better, but we have a, a term limited president. So sure. it doesn't matter how, how good he does now. He's out. Yeah, so it's difficult. You either you've either got baggage or you've got inexperience, and there's nowhere in between uh, yeah. that, that a candidate can. I mean, and, but I suppose in them, uh, you were saying then that you, you know you you she has got most experience. I suppose, um, and and I presume you're rooting for Hillary. Are you? Is that your? If I yes, can ask, I, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I um, I was even. I wasn't a, a Bernie fan. I was. I, I read, well, for the first time ever, I joined the Dem. I've always been. Left leaning, but I joined the Democratic Party this year specifically to support Hillary to vote for her in the primary uh, in London that Democrats abroad have because I knew Bernie would do well. But then, I mean, the the rhetoric was, you know, it's not it's beyond just you know normal sort of conservative. Um, the traditional mold of a Republican in the U.S. is a business, you know, low small government, 
um, but you know, conservative, but with the quote unquote family values. That's been the traditional Republican mold. And, and, you know, I saw that being blown away by some other rhetoric with banning Muslims and, you know, that's an, an assault on, I think some of the good things that we have in America, there's lots and lots of problems, but you know, the, the ideals that we aspire to as far as freedom of speech and freedom of religion. And that, that was an attack on those values. And I even saw some Democrats on on the other side of the coin saying, "Yeah, maybe we should ban some Muslims." And that was where oh, wow. I was like, "Whoa, I got to get in the mix here as well." So, sure. Um, so yes, yeah, so, I mean, Hillary's a flawed candidate, definitely. But I saw her as having the best chance to win, even more than Bernie. And a lot of people liked Bernie and thought he could do well, and said at the time when he was, you know, at his peak in May or June that polls showed him beating Trump, but. But no one was paying attention at that stage, and no one had run a single negative ad for, against Bernie Sanders. And there was a lot for them to attack with him. So I think that he was a, a dream, but one that would have been flawed. Sure. But, I mean, um, you're saying, obviously, that Hillary's flawed because she's one of the most – I mean, they're all some of the most unpopular candidates for presidency that the U.S. has ever had. Um, yeah. I mean, well, for a start, you know – how why how how has it got to that uh, but also yeah. i mean is it i mean, I mean it's looking like it's going to be hillary now pretty much isn't it that's sort of yeah i mean i think i don't know if you, if you talk much about because about the electoral college and all that i mean in the podcast but um no 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 um, please explain it cause i find it it's one of those things i find hugely confusing is the way that the u.s elections yeah work. i think it's one of those things you grow up with i i find the whole pass the post thing in sure. the UK, mind-boggling. After it's stupid, years. that's so, why, yeah. <laughs> so Electoral College is like, oh, that's no, totally obvious. Don't you get it, dude? But, um, <laughs> so basically, Hillary has a built-in advantage in the Electoral College and that we don't elect a president directly. So because, And I'm beginning to think that the Founding Fathers had a good idea because they thought direct democracy was dangerous and based on seeing things like Brexit and Trump, <laughs> I'm beginning to agree with them. But um, So you can guess where I fell on the Brexit side. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so what it means is each state, um, the, you vote for the president within each state and then the once, and it's a winner take all in most of the states. So for example, um, and the bigger states with the most population have the most pull in this college. So California will, has the, the largest population in the U S they have 55 electors that vote in what's in what's ultimately is the electoral college. Right. That number comes from the number of people they have in the U.S. Congress, in the House of Representatives, and in the Senate. So that's where they get that 55 from. So the most populous states have the most poll. It's winner take all, though. So when, if I win California by 51%, I get all 55 electoral votes. Wow. And Hillary has a built-in advantage in some of the bigger states, in California, New York, Pennsylvania. And so she immediately, like, in her, it's like a t- gigantic tug of war. And her team always has the biggest, strongest players. Sure. And, so, and so right now, the way... One second. Does that so, mean that your vote could essentially mean nothing? Well, that's... Yes, exactly. So Hillary could win California by 95% and get... I don't know, the population of California, I think, is like, I don't know, 70 million people or whatever. Right. Um, you know, the, I think it's probably similar to the UK. Um but because she would lose out in some other states in electoral college, yes, she. That's where you could have a situation where a candidate wins the popular vote because they win in popular states where it doesn't matter, uh, populated states. But then she loses in this weird configuration of the other states. Right. So that's so Trump only has a built-in advantage in one big state, which is Texas, and then he has a lot. He has a coalition of a lot smaller states which will reliably always vote Republican. She's got a lot more that will always reliably vote Democrat. 
So then that's why they just play most of the election happens in about 10 different states where there's a chance of it going one way or the other. And those are the swing states that you hear about in the news. Sure. And are, they, are those swing states still still swing states, even after all the things Trump has said, you know, even after the Hillary emails? Are they- yeah, because it's so polarized that some people will just vote about 40 to 45 percent of the population will always vote at the moment, Republican or Democrat. So then there's about 10% in the middle who may go one way or the other. And the election will, I think, come down to, the polls show her winning because she's doing better both in the popular vote and in the key states in this electoral college thing. But some people, there's some articles that are saying that there is the shy Trump voter who doesn't want to admit to the pollster that they're going to vote for Trump. If there is a big enough wave of those and this latest email scandal, which proves the narrative of her secrecy and her what some people call her criminality maybe that will bring people back that they're like we don't understand trump he's not a real republican but we hate hillary so much we'll just take a chance and if that's but i also know there's 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 some silent hillary voters out there um because my family are from washington state which is reliably liberal on that and and would vote for hillary but my my dad i was talking to him and he's got some friends that are republicans and um and there, and a couple of them are like, "Look, we've never, we would, ne- we've never voted for a Democrat in our life, and we, we're going to vote for Hillary because Trump is, you know, th- these are both women that he's friends with, and they just can't bring themselves to vote for him." So I think the election is going to come down to how many people, when they face that ballot, they're either going to say, "Well, I think he's a bit of a racist, but I hate Hillary, so I'll vote for Trump," or they're going to be like, "I'm ashamed of what this man represents, and even though I don't like Hillary, I'll vote for her." That's going to be what carries it, sure. one way or the other, and that could be all affected by the news that happens in the next 10 days. Right, yeah, wow. But a lot of votes have been cast already. A lot of states do early voting, So, so, and traditionally the Democrats are, for some reason, are early voters. Um, so uh, I don't know why that is. I've just read it in places. But, um, right. And the Republicans tend to vote, I guess maybe because they're older, they tend to vote on the day. So we're seeing, So already there's millions of votes that have been cast. So, you know, any news, that's why you'll see the campaigns are always like, go vote now, go vote now. We want to lock you in. So you can't find out what you know, criminals we are. But, um, <laughs> sure. You get to lock it in. And then on the 8th, they pull their mask aside and we see that they're all lizard people, which we all knew all along. Yeah, but, I mean, um, either way, it doesn't matter who gets you it. Know. Yeah, you know, you know. Sure. But yeah, there's a, there's a, well, I don't know if it's fun. It's fun for me. There's a website called uh, 270 to win. And because that's the number in the electoral college you need. And they've got a great interactive map on there where they've kind of got the reliably blue Democratic states and the reliably red Republican ones. And then you can flip and see. And because Hillary, um, based on their site, she's already locked in 258 out of 270. Oh, wow. So all she has to do is win. If she wins one of the one of those swing states, Florida, North Carolina, Ohio, it's over. So all this noise. So in that way, that's why a lot of people are saying it really hasn't been a very close race for quite a while because of her built-in advantage in those states. Sure. So and 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 actually looking at that, I mean, Trump has been losing people along the way. I think you know it sounds like for a start with his racist comments and it was sexist comments caused him, I think, to lose a lot of kind of Christian voters and and then uh, he's questioned. You know, he's saying you'll question the election outcome. Um, yeah. What does I mean for a start? Him questioning the election outcome. What is that going to cause uh, if if he does that? Surely that's going to cause uh, unrest and anger and. Yeah, I mean that's that is a that is an attack on the fundamentals of a of a 
a peaceful transfer of power or, you know, um, and, and how a democracy works. If you don't stand down and say, I accept the results of this, even Al Gore, who, you know, he was an example of someone who won the popular vote but lost in the Electoral College under very contentious circumstances. Yeah. He could, a lot of people wanted him to keep fighting against Bush in 2000 to try and delegitimize Bush's victory. But the, they got to a point where the Supreme Court said, no, we're going to accept Florida's votes. And that meant that the 270 went to Bush. And after about five weeks of delayed and un- uncertainty, Gore just said, I'm, I respect these results. George Bush is my president. And, and you need to honor that. And then, and then Al Gore went away and, and gained weight and got a big beard. <laughs> it was like classic depression. It's like, I'm just going to go away yeah. now because I should be the president. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, but, Made some uh, great films. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but but that I mean that that's that's what makes it that's what makes a system like this work. I mean you can get all cynical, and it's easy to do so. But ultimately, it comes down sometimes to just a, a man or a woman standing there and saying, "I will move on," and I'm not you know. And that's what like tears tears countries apart. I mean like in I think it was you know um, South Sudan or one of the Sudans where they they had their new leadership and the vice president and the president they started to argue over who was in charge and then they had civil war. So that's 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 how these things happen. Sure. Um, and, I mean, do you think there's a danger of that in this? I mean, because obviously a, a level of sort of unrest and dissonance and anger is, is what's caused Trump to get this far in the first place. So if he then says, I don't accept this result, is that going to cause people to kick off? I, I mean, I, I think there is a real risk of that. And it's not like people don't have the means to kick off in the United States. <laughs> yeah. It's a heavily armed country. Um, and I, it's hard to know with Trump how much is what he really believes or how much is bluster to get attention and whether he's got a backup plan and he just wants to get as much attention as he can or, you know, and, and how a lot far he's willing to take that, you know, he just, he, he's beyond the pale for what a normal, I, I mean, in a way, I think that this, 
you know, a lot of people don't like politicians, but at the same time, they do play by a certain set of rules and understandings of, of what the nature of a democracy is. And he's violating a lot of those rules. And that does become dangerous because some people are willing to pick up a gun. It can happen. And, you know, and those, that's not what anyone wants. Sure. I mean, so, so, I mean, that's where it gets, that's where it genuinely gets scary. You know, when he starts talking about banning people based on their religion, that was, that's terrifying. Talking about, you know, um, he wants to, if he was president, he wants to change the laws in the United States so that he can more easily sue the press. He said, he said he liked the model of Britain, you know, because the libel laws here are much more restrictive than they are in the United States. Um, so he wants to, you know, which is one of the, you know, America, again, one of the strengths of America is you can say anything. You don't have to worry about, you know, getting sued for a tweet where you're being sarcastic. Yeah. Um, and you can in the UK. We don't have real freedom of speech uh, in, in the UK. And, um you know, and so those kinds of things he's attacking, which are the, you know, some of the things that make America a little bit special. We'll be back with Eric in a minute, but first... If you've ever been to Heathrow Airport and waited in a stupidly long queue to get your passport checked or get through security and then wandered around the departure lounge wondering why the people sitting in those seats never seem to have a flight to catch or do they in fact just live in those chairs so that you never ever get to sit down and instead you're just stuck looking at giant Toblerone wondering if they're safe to take on flights after you really hurt the roof of your mouth biting into one once? then you'll know that what Heathrow Airport really needs is another runway to allow even more flights to land and take off from there and even more congestion between you and escaping this bloody country. Also, if you've ever wandered through the 260 acres of reclaimed land that is the Harmonsworth Moor, looking at the lush green grass, rivers, lakes and ponds, feeling all calm, you'll probably have thought, what would make this really great would be a whacking great runway in the middle of it so all planes can land all over all of it and it would all die. And if you've ever breathed London air, I'm sure you've thought, if only there was some way to make this taste even more like things have died in my mouth. Well, there you go. A third runway, please. So, of course, it makes total sense that the British government, like Saruman in Lord of the Rings, pulling down the trees for his new evil tower, has announced its support for a new runway at Heathrow, saying that it'll improve global connectivity, jobs and business opportunities. You know, for all those people they keep saying they don't want coming here. Chris Grayling, the Transport Secretary and Functioning Cadaver, says that it'll bring £61 billion to the economy over 60 years. So just over £1 billion a year then. It'll bring 77,000 jobs by 2030, uh, apparently bringing lots of work to the UK steel industry, a factor absolutely hailed by the unions. And it could bring an extra 16 million long-haul passenger seats by 2040, if, you know, everyone hasn't already left this country by then anyway. But it isn't just that simple, because the fact is there's a lot of opposition to a third runway, coming from all sorts of people, including the 2009 edition of Theresa May, who told her constituents in Maidenhead, an area that would be affected by it, that she would fight a third runway due to its detrimental impact. Something, of course, that the 2016 edition Prime Minister Theresa May seems to have removed in the updates. Part of David Cameron's key pitch when running for Prime Minister in 2010 was no ifs, no buts, no third runway. A slogan that proves not only was he shit at keeping promises, but also at rhyming things. And Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson has said that he will lie down in front of bulldozers to stop it from happening, which I wouldn't put it past him as he's lied in many other different places to get what he wants. 
And of course there is opposition from Zach Goldsmith, the Conservative MP for Richmond, or former Conservative MP for Richmond, who you might remember from his failed racist mayoral campaign. In fact, he's so adamantly against this third runway that he's stepped down as being a Tory MP, causing a by-election, and will be re-running as an independent candidate for the area so he can properly oppose the government's plans. Yes, that's right, he's siding with protesters against the government, so I guess you could say he'll be sharing a platform with extremists. And the man who actually won the London mayoral election, Sadiq Khan, is against it too, as are many residents, including around 4,000 who are due to lose their home under current Heathrow runway proposals. Though those residents will receive the full value of their home, plus a bit extra, you know, to help them deal with having their household smashed so that Ryanair can play their shitty jingle to say they were only four hours late to the 12 stag dudes on board coming home from Shagaloof as the wheels smash into the tarmac-covered remnants of precious family memories. And I'm sure that will compensate it entirely. Then, of course, you have the chief executive of British Airways, Heathrow's biggest customer, who doesn't want the runway funded by airlines, even though the government say it definitely won't be funded by public money either. So, you know, hopefully that magic money tree isn't growing on the proposed demolition path, eh? And actually, even if the airport isn't funded by taxpayer money, roads, railways and tube expansion are all going to be needed to get to the new terminals and the new runway, which, of course, all of that will be paid for by... You guessed it! You! Well, I mean, not not you specifically, dear listener. I mean, all of us. Otherwise, if it is just you by yourself, you're in for a few really shitty bankrupt years and you should definitely get protesting about it. Then you have those who think the runway should have gone to Gatwick, where the airport has said it will definitely stump up all of the costs and there is more land nearby that could be used while causing less damage. But apparently Gatwick does mostly short-haul European flights and is orientated towards tourism. So Heathrow is a better choice, apparently, because the airports commission don't seem to realise that despite them having terminals, airports can change. But the big one is the damage a third runway will cause to the environment. And you have to wonder if the decision of where best to put a new runway should actually have been, should we have a new runway near London or in the UK at all? World CO2 emissions breached 400 parts per million in 2015. That's 400 molecules of CO2 for every 1 million molecules in the atmosphere, which is pretty much, oh dear, the world is burning territory, and it may take many, many years to lower that. And do you know what won't help lower that? Yeah, that is right, a 50% increase in air travel in the UK, with loads more planes spewing out carbon like pollution bile, meaning Britain definitely, definitely won't meet the Paris Agreement, once again, assuming that we can just do what we want when it comes to things agreed in Europe. Not only do planes affect air pollution, which can cause asthma, bronchitis and emphysema, but studies also show that all the noise pollution of those magic giant metal birds screaming over your gaff every day can cause increased risks of heart disease and strokes. Yeah, it's weird that going on holiday can reduce stress, but someone else going on holiday over your head increases it. The strangest thing is that HACAN, H-A-C-A-N, a campaign group for people who live under Heathrow's flight paths, found that a few years ago, a quarter of flights from Heathrow were entirely domestic. With the government now planning to add six more regional locations with the expansion. You know what you could do instead of all that? I mean, that's right. Travel to those places using so many other methods. I mean, there's trains, cars. Have you heard of bicycles? I mean, what about a donkey? I doubt the people of Harmonsworth would be half as bothered by braying and hee-hawing as they are by flight noise. Nor would donkeys travelling through town mean that you'd have to have your house knocked down. I mean, unless they're really demanding donkeys. Admittedly, you get enough donkeys and you don't feed them well, then I guess CO2 emissions might still be high. 
And also, I really doubt that the government would be encouraged to go along with this donkey plan when it would make asses of their business ideals. Ha! No, I'm not sorry. So, there will be political and legal challenges against this, and protests for many, many years to come. Some experts say that advances in technology mean it won't create the jobs that the government promises it will, and costs are very likely to rise, especially depending on what happens with Brexit and import costs. So, if the Heathrow runway is going to happen at all, it's going to take a very, very long time to get off the ground. Which, considering what it's meant to do, means it's going to be a pretty useless runway indeed. And now, back to Eric. And and is that I mean the fact that he's the Republican Party candidate, and obviously you're you're talking about uh, that your family knows Republicans that are talking about voting for Hillary now. I mean, what mm. does that mean that the future of the Republican Party is going to be? Are they going to have to keep getting Trump-like candidates in order to keep those voters, or are they going to have to totally U-turn and go perhaps back to centre to gain support again? What's they, what I mean, they're going to be uh, they're going to be. I mean, he's destroyed the Republican. I mean, the Republican Party destroyed itself. By, I, I think this goes back even further to the you know the right wing Tea Party that Trump kind of came out of, and even further back than that when when they started the language in the U.S. You know when Barack Obama became president, Republicans said this was literally the end of days right. that he is a Muslim and he wasn't you know this was the fringe side of it, but um, and that he wasn't born in America. And then they what the the mainstream Republicans didn't disavow that kind of language; they sort of half embraced it. And the more and more you hug ugly rhetoric like that, the more it infects, you know, your base. They start people start to believe it. So when they said we were going to reelect Obama again, it will be the end of times. So they're like, oh, it's going to be the end of times. And you can't keep feeding people those sort of that level of, um, you know, it's not the end of times if the opponent wins. It means that you, you know, you're out for a little bit. You need to, you need to make the case to make your policies and your vision better. But they didn't. They, they haven't gone that route. They've gone the route of the other side is evil. And it's very difficult to come back from that. So the sort of sensible business style Republicans that I have some things that I agree with, um, they've been kind of left out in the cold at the moment. So how they regroup, sort of more of a libertarian, you know, you know, low tax, low government sort of thing, they're completely out at the moment. In a lot of ways, the evangelicals have actually stuck with him, surprisingly, considering the man's been divorced three times, cheated on his wife, yeah. says all these awful things about women, because he's, you know, he's touted the um, anti-abortion line that they quite like, and the anti, well, he hasn't really, the gay thing in America has really been, has dif- been disfused quite a bit. It still has a long ways to go, but some of the wind is out of the sails of the, um, of the anti-gay movement. Sure. But, um, so, the, so we've got this evangelical core of the Republican Party. Is it, where are they going to go? You've got the normal sort of business Republican. Where are they going to go? And then now you've got this woken up, angry, anti-immigrant, um, government is evil group. And they're going to need somewhere to go as well. So there's these three disparate groups that used to sort of hobble together as a coalition. And that coalition has been blown wide open. So do you think so they could split? I mean, is that could this lead to it being more than a two-horse race in future? I, well, I, yeah, I don't know how they unite the party because, I mean, the Libertarian Party would be a natural place for some people, but bless them. I don't know if you've seen Gary Johnson, their candidate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, I mean he's, he, there's a clip online of him talking to a reporter where he says, you know, I don't know. He goes, I could do anything. And, you know, no one would pay attention to me or something like that. He said, I could even talk. And he stuck out his tongue with my tongue sticking out. And oh, yeah. he, just sits there, <laughs> he just sits there with his tongue sticking out. And this young reporter is looking at him like, what the hell is wrong with you? I mean, she's just like, she leans back. And he's just sitting there with his tongue hanging out. 
And this is one of the main candidates to become president of the United States. You know, that's in addition to him not knowing where Aleppo is or what Aleppo is. That famous line where they said, what about Aleppo? And he said, what's an Aleppo? (laughs) Oh, you just, I mean, you know, but he's a nice guy. He used to be governor of uh, New Mexico and he um, runs a company that sells legalized pots. And I think he's been smoking a little bit too much of his own product. Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, wow. I mean, I suppose there's also a thing as well, and libertarians ideally don't want a government at all, think everyone should work for themselves. So that could be a huge problem if there's a libertarian party, isn't it? Well, I mean, the thing is, the, the, what you'll find with Republican people where there's a, some hypocrisy and what some of them believe is that they'll they'll say, like, I want the government out of my life, but I want but not, but don't take away my Medicare, you know, don't take away my social security, don't sure. take away that, but the government can't be in my life, but I need to make sure that I get a deduction on my uh, mortgage payments. You know, it's like, well, what do you, what do you, what do you want here? You really want the government out of your life or just the programs that you don't understand? And so that's a fundamental problem at the heart of the Republican party. Um, and in a lot of ways, what Trump has done is he's just thrown all that out the window and said, of course we'll have healthcare. I'll give you healthcare. I'll give you the best healthcare. I'm the best. But that's not a core Republican way of saying things, you know. Um, and he's done that with a lot of things that normally Republicans – I mean, being – he's, you know, against free trade. That's been a core belief of the Republican Party for decades. Right. And he's thrown that out the window as well. So – and and this quarter, sort of – this um, uh, non-college educated white working class group is extreme – you know, is disenfranchised and he's given them a voice. And that – you know, how they become – and that used to be the – it's kind of like the flip that we've seen here with labor is losing sort of that heartland vote. Um, and they're going in a different direction and that's happening in America. Sure. And, and I guess, so if, if uh, we're sort of assuming that Hillary will get in now, famous last words, but uh, if yeah. she gets in, that's something she's going to have to address is that she's going to have to somehow appeal to those people that are, that are so angry and so disenfranchised. Yeah, a lot. Of, I mean, what's going to happen? Apparently, the the, the, the Republicans hold both the, the House and the Senate, and the Senate is much more active in the U.S. government than the House of Lords here. But it's kind of the equivalent, and um, and they you know have a, a a bigger, more proactive say in how things are run. She has a better chance of picking up enough seats in her party to take back the Senate. I think it's about a 70 percent chance. Right. But the House, there's just too many seats for them to to leap to make the gap. So probably the Republicans will hold the House. So you have two. You'll have the two houses against each other, which makes legislation tricky to come through. Sure. Because that, that's you what happened to Obama, isn't it, in some ways? or Yes. So Obama had, has, has had, has not, hasn't had either house um, on his side for this last last four years, maybe even six years. I can't remember. Um, and so that makes – usually that kind of means some room for compromise. But because – there's this hard right in the Republican Party. They don't believe in any compromise because the person they would have to compromise with, Barack Obama, is uh, Satan. Right. So it's you know it's once you've told people that the man is Satan, how do you make a deal with him and then stand out there and say proudly we've made a deal with Satan? Sure. And that's why it's, it's just insane. So with Hillary, I I think that she's a I think she's a better political operator than Obama. So she might be able to get things done that he wasn't. Um, because she's been in the game for so long and I think she'll start from a better place of how to use those mechanisms, you know, the, the, the mechanisms of machinations of power, sure. um, the levers of power, or yes, they'll dig in and we'll have, but again, then the Republicans risk being the party of do nothing. And the Democrats can say, well, look, these guys don't do anything, throw them all out and give us the keys. So it's going to be, it will be challenging. I think it will be easier for her than it's been for Obama because Partly because she's white, 
I think that will make a difference. There'll be less of that sort of weird underlying, not weird, but racial tension there. Um, but again, because they, I mean, they're already saying that, or they're, you know, they're like, we're going to impeach her within two years. They're planning to impeach her before she's even begun. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. So she's white it's, that she's a woman, and so therefore there's, they'll find some way to... Yeah. I mean, she's a woman, which goes against her, but at least she's white. Yeah. I'm sure they're looking at her like that. Going, sure. Uh, well, it's an improvement on the last guy. God. So the next four not, years are going to be... I'm not saying that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the next four years are going to be hugely interesting either way. It could be riots and civil war across America, or just four years of, of nothing going forward, yep. I guess. Wow. Somewhere, somewhere hopeful. That's the kind of hopeful message <laughs> I like to put forward. I, um, Brilliant. But, uh, yeah, it keeps it interesting, that's for sure. Definitely, definitely. And uh, so so let me, uh, I, 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 I always try and uh, think of some way to end this in uh, hopeful, you know, end with some actual hope <laughs> in these interviews, which is quite hard. Um, but I, I tell you, could you uh, recommend, you, you mentioned that website earlier, was that called, was it 270 to win? Was that right? Yeah, 270 to win is a good one. Um, another yeah. one that I really like, uh, if you want to truly politically geek out, is a website called Political Wire. And... Um, it's a guy who comes up with quotes and little video clips and just grabs all kinds of fun little things from a different angle. And I live by that. It's absolutely amazing. Fantastic. Brilliant. So people yeah. should check those out if they want to, uh, if they want to keep up to date on the mayhem. I mean, we're recording this on Saturday. Uh, people will probably be listening to this from Tuesday. There will only be a few days to go at that point. <laughs> so. Yeah, we're down to the final seven days. So well, yeah. possibly, who knows sure. what happens next. And I mean, guess uh, just on the uh, off chance that Trump does win, where are you planning to build a bunker? What's your <laughs> <laughs> What's your plan? <clears throat> I've already, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm already, yeah, I'm already here uh, sure. as a refugee, um, and I'm I'm only twelve years old. You can check my teeth and everything. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I that's. It's, it's hard to even fathom. I think it will be, you know, there is a limit to presidential power. People, th- it's not, but where he has unlimited power is in the ability to deploy the military. He has he has sole discretion over when to launch nuclear weapons. Um, so that's the, you know, that's the hard stuff. Um, but the the other thing that he can do, which is probably more worrisome on a realistic basis, is he could say, you know, all the the women that have accused him of um, assault. He can just order the IRS to release all their tax records and investigate them and put prosecutors in, and ruin their lives, essentially. Wow. So that's where he has a tremendous amount of that kind of authority to create, at least in the short term, a police state unless Congress decides to put checks on him. And you know that's where you've got some real concerns and some things for the presidency can immediately make America a very different place. Um, and uh, and that's that that would be scary because I think that he's you know if you insult him and make fun of the hands of his size uh, size of his hands all of a sudden the IRS might be auditing you and um, that's scary. Wow, wow! So yeah. there you go. Everyone complaining about the UK <laughs> should be very pleased to be staying here uh, for a while. Yeah. <laughs> I, yes, I mean definitely. I think UK politics have got a lot more interesting than they were when I moved here 16 years ago. But it's still. We got you got nothing to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks to Eric for chatting with me. Uh, you can find Eric on his website. Uh, that's ericmcelroy.com, and I should say it's Eric with an H. E-R-I-C-H-M-C-E-L-R-O-Y or on Twitter at Eric McElroy and you can see him live at various comedy clubs over the next few months which I would highly recommend.
Uh, I'm going to be leaving the subject of US elections alone next week, as obviously the next episode is going to arrive on the morning of the vote, meaning unless Trump is suffocated by his own wig in its one act to save humanity, I can't really just predict the outcome. So instead, next week is going to be something different. And then the week after, uh, I'm going to have another guest discussing the aftermath, you know, if we're all still alive by then. If you have any people you'd like me to interview in particular or subjects you'd like me to find someone to talk to about, please do let me know at Parpolbro on Twitter, the Facebook Parpolbro group or partly political broadcast at gmail.com. Depending on when you listen to this, uh, it was Halloween at some point in your past. And it will be again at some point in your future. Unless, of course, President Trump bans it because he's scared that all the people in costumes are real ghouls and they'll be surrounded by disappointed zombies who are looking for brains. On the Halloween theme, though, I decided that this week's partly political broadcast question of the week, which is back, I asked you, the people, what Halloween costumes political types should have worn for their Samhain celebrations. Now, uh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but at Gaia Cecilia, I believe that's right, uh, from Twitter, said Peter Mandelson should be a vampire because he seems to keep coming back from the political dead, amongst other reasons. Uh, I agree with that. Peter Mandelson is definitely fucking draining. Uh, at Fancy Wookie sent Zombie Thatcher. Uh, I'm assuming they mean that Thatcher would just come back as Thatcher. I mean, the thing is, is uh, that would mean she'd have had to turn into a zombie and that lady's not for turning. Uh, and it also said the ghost of Donald Trump's toupee, which would suggest it's definitely something that's already died. Uh, at Jason underscore Spacey uh, sent me a picture of, uh, it's a picture that always makes it funny, because if it happened to anyone else, I wouldn't find it funny. But the fact that it's Nigel Farage that's been in a plane crash, that picture makes me so happy. Uh, so he sent me that picture and just underlined it with brains. And I think that's a fair comparison for Farage, because he's very, very used to playing to the undead mindless hordes. Uh, at Rainy101 uh, sent me a picture of the uh, Tin Man, the Lion and the Scarecrow from Wizard of Oz and said, Gove, Hunt and Johnson, interchangeable as none of them have brains, hearts or courage. And that's very true. Uh, you could in fact do a whole sort of Wizard of Oz uh, with most of the Conservative government. Uh, the only problem is there's quite a lot of contenders for the absolute sham that is the wizard pretending that things are something that they're definitely, definitely not. At Al underscore Vim said, uh, George Osborne is just a lab coat and a bottle of red hair dye away from being Beaker anyway. Wasn't that, wasn't that Dally Alexander though, Alvin? Wasn't that, wasn't that, oh God, do you think they were, do you think Danny Alexander was just George Osborne with red hair dye? So many questions. Uh, at Kenders Rule uh, says, uh, Jack the Pumpkin, President of America. I assume that's a reference to Trump. Um, and we've got several Trump ones. Uh, Sam Phillips sent uh, Trump, no mask, no costume, just Trump, which I believe a lot of people have dressed up as because it is probably the scariest thing that could happen all year. Uh, Matt Hoss sent that uh, instead of the headless horseman, Putin could be the shirtless horseman. Uh, scary in a sort of different way, I guess. Um, and uh, at Life Cyclista said, uh, sent a picture of her husband dressed as a general vampiric Tory, which is very funny. Um, at Brendan Hope, says uh, Jeremy Corbyn as John the Baptist. Now, the thing with that is uh, the idea of Jeremy Corbyn dressing up as a Jewish preacher could be a little bit problematic. Um, Rebecca Zadie Gamble uh, says, uh, all I can think of is Jeremy Corbyn as Dobby the house elf, uh, and I like Corbyn, but he sure wouldn't mind being cast as a freed, oppressed worker. Uh, generally, the Tory party have most of everything else covered. At G... Oh, this is this person again. At GG7088-2020 uh, says Boris Johnson, the blob. 
Uh, at Ethan D. Lawrence uh, said, Glyn Davis as a doctor, since as an academic, they are from another reality. In fact, Glyn Davis being a doctor, I think would encourage a lot of people to try and stay as healthy as possible, so they'd never have to fucking see him. Uh, at Blue underscore Worcester says, Michael Gove as a gaping wound, no makeup required. Uh, and also Al K. Al K. Uh, sent a picture of Michael Gove saying, surely this Chucky impression is enough. He does unbelievably look like a cursed ventriloquist puppet. It is something I've said for many years. The question is, whose hand is up his ass? Um, at Real Neil Turner uh, says, Jeremy Hunt with the shower costume that Karate Kid had, but when you open it, he's the Alan Partridge vampire with drill bit claws. I love how incredibly specific that is. And my favourite one, at Foxake UK, says, Clowns, the lot of them. Brexit fallout! Brexit fallout! There used to be a radio advert for Nissan that had a really annoying American woman, who I think was meant to sound like the character in Singing in the Rain who can't sing. And she would say, You can can with a Nissan. Well, as annoying as it was, it seems that that tagline was absolutely right, as now the car makers say that they will be building two new models of vehicle in Sunderland after the government gave them support and assurances about the future of post-Brexit Britain. Yeah, that does sound really sinister, doesn't it? Support and assurances. As I whispered by Mr Burns as he rubs his hands together and redraws a map of the EU that somehow still has Sunderland in it after they drill around it and push it into the sea. Greg Clark, the business secretary, refuses to say what was in his letter to Nissan, presumably because it was made from different letters all cut out from different newspapers and stuck together. But he does say that what he told Nissan was that the UK would be seeking trade that was free and unencumbered by impediments. So I can only guess they'll be doing the old trick of using the word great and suddenly announcing that all of a sudden we'll be staying in the great single market. Or if the government really are seeking a tariff-free EU deal for car makers, then why won't they seek that for any other businesses? Or just stick with the single market, and what are they smoking, and can we all have some? In the meantime, Labour have decided to tackle the government's lack of solid Brexit plans with their own lack of solid Brexit plans, proving that they too can be just as useless if they were in power. Shadow Chancellor John McDonnell made a speech in London where as well as saying breakfast instead of Brexit three times, which to be fair is an easy mistake to make when you realise the whole thing means Britain's economy is fried, John McDonnell also said that Labour would prevent the Tories from delivering a Brexit that only cared about bankers and not manufacturing. His plan for doing this was to give all businesses access to the single market. You know, like they do in the single market already, which John McDonnell opposes. So basically, they aren't saying stay in the single market, they're just saying we should leave the single market but all our businesses should stay in the single market, which is the bit that was the important bit for the single market anyway. Great! And I'll give up eating cakes, except for all the really tasty ones that I like eating. And then John McDonnell said that while they supported free movement, uh, Labour did think that something must be done about the effects of immigration on low wages, which, as I've mentioned so many times on this podcast, several studies show that there aren't any. So, Labour are pro-freedom of movement, but also single market, but also not really single market. Which, okay, is sort of fine with me, but how does that appeal to the population who voted for Brexit on the basis of not really wanting any of those things? I mean, essentially, you wonder if McDonald could have just stood at the podium, shrugged a lot and said, oh, I no, under his breath a few times, and then left. And I reckon it would have made just as much sense. Meanwhile, over in Europe, the EU have signed the CETA deal with Canada, which means if you were pro-Brexit because of business trade deals, you'll be annoyed. But if you are pro-Brexit because of avoiding things like that, you'll be pleased. But if you are pro-Remain because of deals like that, you'll be annoyed. And if you are pro-Remain to avoid things like that, you'll be pleased. Either way, 
It's not clear if the UK will get their own similar deal with Canada, and it's only a matter of time before the chicken farmers of Canada use the deal to sue Slovenia because it looks like a chicken on maps which undermines their industry. And that's the end of this week's podcast. Uh, thanks, as always, for listening. And don't forget, you can drop me a line via at Bro on Twitter, Bro on Facebook, and partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com with all show-related thoughts. I mean, not even just this show. Just any, any show of any sort. I just went to see Doctor Strange, and no spoilers, but aside from Kennedy Bumbersnatch's terrible accent, I thought the bit where he's a training junior Doctor Strange and has to work seven-day weeks on reduced pay is pretty tough viewing. It's also really odd that he can't use his magic powers to create more beds and staff. Anyway, yes, uh, drop me a line. Uh, Also, if you like podcasts, which I presume you do, otherwise, I mean, what are you doing listening to this? What do you mean you didn't know it was a podcast? How are you listening to it? You're smelling it? Oh, that's... What does it smell of? Uh, How weird. Anyway... I'm a guest on my brother, uh, The Last Skeptics Podcast, which is called Thanks for Trying. Um, and I'm on there with uh, US rapper Heems, uh, who's part of the Sweatshop Boys group, uh, along with Riz Ahmed. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun chatting. Um, all the beats on this show are my brother's work. And as I completely forget to credit him for that on pretty much every episode I do, the very least you can do uh, to make up for my crappy, crappy family values is listen to his podcast. I mean, manners. Next week, uh, as I said, I won't be discussing the US election at all because it'll be so imminent that anything I say will be out of date by the time it hits your ears. But don't worry, I'm fairly sure there'll be something else to fill the time. This week's show is brought to you by only great numbers. I mean, why would you ever say that there are bad numbers? Why do you hate democracy and freedom? And the letter... La 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 la... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.